Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today's episode was fun. Simply a great chat with a good mate, Craig Alexander. In this episode, Craig and I discussed the early years of Bamol Triathlon Club in Sydney and, and how we used to sleep in our cars before races and wait for barrel draws to try and win a meat pack and wait for any leftover food uh, at the races and and how we always work jobs to just try to get to the next race. And we discuss who we think the greatest triathletes of all time are and how the races and how the sport has changed and the impact of just different equipment has had on the sport. Um, Thank you all for listening and and for sharing this show. And and please, if you are enjoying the show and you want to help it out, please consider the show's sponsors, uh, Athletic Greens and Hyperice. You really can't go wrong with either of them. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who enjoy just one moment longer. I want to give a huge shout out to Athletic Greens for supporting the show and for just being there every day for me. Athletic Greens is now very much a part of my daily routine. Just such a simple way to get a delicious blend of 75 superfoods, vitamins and minerals and probiotics and so much more. I really encourage you to invest in yourself. Invest in your own health for your performance optimization today and for your longevity. Sign up and have it delivered straight to your door. It's just so simple, tastes great and does what I really need for my health. I've also been doubling down on Athletic Greens Vitamin D. Just a huge proportion of the population are vitamin D deficient, myself included. And I focus heavily on getting out in the sun throughout the day, but when I can't, I religiously supplement with vitamin D. And right now, if you order, they'll give you a year's supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs. Athletic Greens is just so much more than a multivitamin and multimineral. It takes to the next level adding in a daily dose of superfoods, probiotics, greens blends, and so much more to support your gut health, your energy, your immunity, and stress. So please do yourself a favor and sign up. It also makes a great gift for a family member or a friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Now, you've probably heard me on many of the episodes discussing hyperice products with my guests, whether it's sitting in the Normatec compression boots, which I've been doing after solid workouts for, well, 10 plus years, or it's the Hypervolt percussion massage devices that I use daily to warm me up before going to the gym, or the vibrating massage roller, which I use before every run. All of the hyperice gear is just so easy to use and just keeps me going. My goal is to keep moving, keep physically fit for many, many years to come, and Using the Hyperize products are just helping me do just that. So simple, quick and easy to look after my body at home. And I've just started using the new Hypervolt Go. It's surprisingly powerful and whisper quiet and ultra lightweight at only one and a half pounds or 680 grams. And it's 30% smaller than the Hypervolt. The Go is ready to provide relief wherever you roam with three speed settings, two interchangeable headset attachments, 18-volt rechargeable lithium-ion battery, and like I said, lightweight, easy to use, one and a half pounds, 680 grams, and it's TSA approved for carry-on. So get 10% off at all Hyperice products using code GREG10 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com. That's H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com and use code GREG10 at checkout. All right, today's guest was my very first guest 
on the Greg Bennett show well over a year ago now. And look, he's been a good mate of mine for 25 plus years. We've logged thousands of miles together in training and we've had some fun battles in some races around the world. And I've always taken enormous pleasure in just watching his incredible success over the years, his five world titles and and just his relentless pursuit and perseverance to become the champion that he is. And we've done five-hour rides and there's really a moment of silence between us. We, we've shared coffees and beers and plenty of laughs and I'm not sure I can think of a better man to have a long conversation about anything and everything. And, and this episode is just simply two mates sharing some stories, our thoughts on the world of triathlon and how it's changed over the 30-plus years and, and likely some off-topic random discussion as well. And it's just a great excuse to catch up with a good mate. So welcome and thank you for joining me once again on The Greg Bennett Show, Craig Alexander. How are you, mate? Oh, Greg, I'm good. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me back on. Yeah, it's, it's mate, it's been a, a crazy year. Um, you know, how's it been? You, you're calling me from Sydney. How's it been in Australia with the, this, this past year? Yeah, it's been different to say the least. Um, you know, I, I think Australia being an island and being a long way from everywhere, uh, that has its advantages. Um, and one of them, I guess, is in a situation like we've seen the last 12 months with the pandemic. So, I mean, we've been affected like everywhere else, but, you know, watching the news and what's going on elsewhere, um, I think we've got out, I won't, I won't say we've got out of it lightly, but um, we've been luckier than some other areas. But yeah, there's certainly been a lot of changes to the way you have to live. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. with with sport and with people's professions, there were just a lot of big changes. So it's been a different year, but you know, we've moved on to 2021 now, and I I just like to look forward and be positive about you know what <laughs> what can happen yeah. moving. No, forward. you got to keep optimistic, don't you? I mean, it's like you can't dwell on it. It's uh, it's been a very interesting year for all of us around the world, and I don't think I've started many of the shows without kind of going, well, how's COVID you know affected you? And I mean, on that, have you been able to do any racing in this last twelve months? No, no, I haven't. But yeah. you know, my, my racing was starting to wind down anyway. I was the last two or three years. I've just, mm-hmm. I still like to train as as I mentioned to you in the the last time we caught up. I, it's part of my my life. My daily routine is to exercise. I just. I love to do it. Of course, we used to do it as a profession and it's a lot less structured these days. It's more uh, for enjoyment and, and for fun, mm. which changes the game a little bit from, from that perspective. But, yeah, with the races just shut down pretty quickly. And what, what I've missed, um, a lot of uh, my travel these days is as an ambassador to events. I get invited to be an ambassador at a lot of events and I really love those weekends when you go and you're just in and around the event, it's a different experience mm-hmm. to actually racing them and you get to catch mm-hmm. up with a lot more athletes and a lot more of the people working the events. Uh, so that all ground to a halt for me as well. And I, I've got to say that's what I've missed, I guess, just the social interaction of catching up with the people that you normally only see at races and people who become your friends over the years. So I think for me the last 12 months has been the big thing, just socially. Um, mm. I think we're all a little more isolated than we were yeah, previously. I'm a bit the same as you. I actually, I'm looking at doing the. Um, there's a there's an event called the Challenge Miami event coming up on March 12th, and uh, Philip LaHaye. I don't know if you may remember him from uh, yeah, St. Anthony's Triathlon, the race director I, for years I, that we all remember. Did. Phil, I remember uh, Phil really well. Phil and Blair. Yeah, so he he reached out and said, "Greg, you know, we might need somebody else, uh, another sort of commentary person, and uh, for the TV, would you be interested?" And 
it's kind of one of those things you get excited about because you you just want to catch up with some old mates and see the the new breed of athletes racing and um yeah like you said it's the community it's the socialization just to be a part of it all that we're all kind of desperate to have um i had i had cam brown on a few weeks back and he said he's committed to racing as a professional until he turns 50 what about you you've only got 18 months don't you how old are you <laughs> oh come on 18 months <laughs> I've got. I turned forty. How old are you? I turned forty-eight in June. So, oh, you're a young pup. No, I'm just. A ba- <laughs> I'm just a baby. I'm just a baby. <laughs> you know, Cam's yeah. Cam's amazing. His appetite for still doing the work and the passion. Oh, and just passion, yeah. And just having the time. I mean, I remember having a chat with Cam. I want to say it was seven or eight years ago now, and. He was sort of, I think he was contemplating retirement at that point and his kids were at that age where, you know, they've got a lot of activities, sport, and you, you want to you be there. You want to watch and be involved and his kids are obviously a bit older now. His kids are out of high school. They've finished. So he's sort of having a renaissance. He's got all this time. Yes. On his and Jenny, <laughs> Jenny's probably sick of him hanging around the house and yeah. go, go train for an Ironman. So out he goes. Well, he said they, they were, the family were doing a – I don't know if it was a weekend trip or something on the coast. He said, yeah, so I jumped on my bike and rode the eight hours over there and it was it was really nice, you know. And, <laughs> but but what I loved actually about that interview, he actually said, yeah, Greg, I said, you know, do you visualize and do you still get nervous? He said, Greg, I'm going to bed every night now nervous and thinking about Ironman New Zealand. And I said, is that, how many Ironman New Zealands is that? And I think we got confused by the numbers. I don't know, it was 22 or something Ironman wow. New Zealand said he'd done. And, but he's still got that that anxiety that you need, you know, that, that self-doubt and the anxiety that you need to kind of fuel you to go do the work. And, uh, yeah. and it was so great to hear the, here's this, I think he must be about your age. I think you guys are almost 48, 48 and 49. I don't know. Um, but he, he said, yeah, you know, it's, he's still got that bug, that, that feeling. And it'll be an interesting Ironman New Zealand actually, cause it's just Kiwis racing. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, no one else can get over there. Yeah, they're in a. I think they've got a little tra- travel bubble. You can't um, travel yeah. in. But I mean, the depth of New Zealand racing at the moment's pretty strong. So Cam will be it there. Is. I mean, Braden Curry, Mike Phillips, um, just to name a few. So yeah, it'll still be a world class race, and I'm sure. Is Terenzo doing it? I wonder if Terenzo actually Terenzo might be there as well. Yeah, I, I haven't yeah. seen or heard much of Terenzo recently, but I'm pretty sure he'll be mm. he'll be there somewhere. So yeah. I mean, it'll still be a world-class race and no doubt, no doubt they're all itching to get on the start line after being starved of racing for so long. Yes, but you're not retired. You're not retired, right? You would race if there was a race around? Yeah, well, I mean, I just – the whole retirement thing for me is I guess when, when I stopped racing the world championship events, mm. your, your, mindset, your, your mindset does change. Um, mm. But I, I, I didn't think that there was any need to, to stop racing. So I kept training. And I know in 2016, when the Ironman 70.3 World Championships were on in Australia, um, the organizers asked me if I, would, if I would do it. And I hadn't done a Worlds for a few years at that point. But I was still training at a high level. So I thought, well, I'll jump into a few races and see. And I did the Asia Pacific Champs for 70.3. And I, I finished second which qualified me for the Worlds, and I thought I may as well, you know. I mean, hmm. they're great events to race, as you know. They're great to be a part of, and you never know when your last one's going to be your last one. So I never wanted to sort of verbalise that I'd retired as such more for myself than than hmm. anyone else. So 
Um, yeah, I've never really had the conversation with myself. Is this the last one? Should I? I like to leave the door a little bit ajar just in case, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Some, I mean, I was a bit the same. I mean, it was kind of like you you almost fade for a little bit. The big championship titles kind of, you know, for me it was like a lot of the short course, the big races like the Lifetime Series and the high V triathlons and the Olympic distance that I truly loved kind of finished. Yeah. And and then it was like, oh, I'll try this Ironman thing, which, you know, you destroyed me at that Melbourne race. And then I was like, okay, we trained together a lot before Kona Ironman in 2012 and, and, and uh, I think we all – took ourselves out on that one but um and then, and then it was kind of you know okay i'll do 70.3s for you know in 2013 14 15 16 for another sort of two to three four years and the passion wasn't quite quite there for me on that i enjoyed it like we, we talked about the community and the social and and the, and the training but i missed my sort of non-drafting olympic distance and my itu days and it was kind of like yeah, okay um the big championships were now not my thing and you start to go well hang on if i can't be a world at least vying for a world title or a big championship title, it's hard to find that passion. Is that, you know, like that kind of that next level of going all in, you know? Like you still think you can, but can you really, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I completely hear what you're saying there. I mean, I I floated around for a while too thinking, well, if I'm not going to Kona, if I'm not even trying to go, if I'm not trying to qualify, Mm -hmm. if it's not even on the agenda, or any of the other big races, what, what's the point? Um, mm. and, and you're right, you know, once you sort of got even just your big toe out the door, you, you're pretty much out the door. Yeah, you, you can't, you're never going to win a major one. Yeah. You're half out. You're, 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 you're either in like or you're out, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, can I remember and remind you of a conversation that you, yourself, Chris Lee, Craig Walton had, and I at, at Chris Lee's house, do you remember? I remember us being there. What year? You'll have might have to jog. We we described it. We said we were all racing stuff. Oh yes, I do remember. And we said, listen. Yeah, we made a pact. If, if you're embarrassing yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other three are going to go to your front door. We'll all dress in suits and we're going to knock on the door and we're yeah. not going to say anything. If you see us three knocking at your door with us in suits, we're not going to say anything. You know, it's it time. just means. It's time you're embarrassing yourself, yeah. and I know uh, Craig Walton was the first to go. Then I think sort of Chris and I kind of faded off. You've been the last man standing, but we haven't got to your door yet. So close, you're getting close. No, close. I do. I do. Remember. We've got to the driveway, but we haven't walked up yet, mate. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we made a pact. We just if well, that's what they say, isn't it? That as an athlete, you you know, a lot of athletes say. When you know, you know, but some don't, and sometimes you're the last to know. So yeah, we made that pact that <laughs> if if we we're embarrassing ourselves, the rest of us had to take it upon ourselves to um, just let that person know it was time to ease out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that well. That was a really funny night, actually. So um, yeah, but not we haven't made your front door yet. <laughs> so what I want to do now, let's just let's go back and, and let's rehash the '90s. And I know we did this a little bit on you on you, your first time you came on the show, but uh, let, let's go back and, and and sort of chat about the '90s when we kind of found the sport of triathlon and 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 almost. Uh, let's start with that first time we did meet. Um, and I think we decided it was ninety. Three end of ninety three was it at the Deacon Hill Spa? It was. It was. The, it was, was it? definitely the Deacon Hill Spa, and mm. I remember that 
you know, back in those days, there were no time trial bikes. So we all had just road bikes. You were on your slingshot, actually. You had your slingshot. Mm. And nobody really had aero bars. You had a normal road setup, but you used to clip the little clip-on aero bars on. And I remember you taking yours off because you were preparing for the Tui's Blue. You had the Tui's Blue coming up in a couple of weeks. And I'm pretty sure the first race was at Coffs Harbour or wherever it was, or it might have been coming up later that year. Sanctuary Cove on the Gold Coast. Oh, was it Sanctuary Cove? Yeah, yeah, that's where we were getting ready for, yeah. And you'd taken your – that's what caught my eye about your bike in transition. You didn't have any of those little clip-on aero bars, and that's when I said, oh, you know what, you haven't got the aero bar. And it was one of my first races. It was either like second or third race, and the guy who had been helping me at the time said, oh, yeah, everybody rides these bars, and first person I see when I walk in transition is you with no bars on, thinking, (laughs) oh, what's going on? And, um, but then we started having a chat and yeah, you said you were preparing for this race that was coming up. It was a cool new televised series, which I'd heard about and read about too, actually. And, and then I don't know if you remember, I got a flat tire and you lent me a, you had a spare single. I'd borrowed, I'd borrowed race wheels from my local bike shop. I, di- I didn't know anything of, of what I was doing and I pumped them up too hard and the, the single just blew up as I was pumping it up and you had a, you had a spare single and helped me change it. And, um, yeah, that was our first meeting and then we, we got to chatting and you invited me to come over and train with you at Balmoral after that. So, um, yeah, lot- it, was a, it was an interesting time. I think, um, you know, I, I look back at that early 90s and the late 80s and, um, you know, every race up and down the coast and, and there was plenty in, you know, Canberra. But I remember r- racing Tari, Kempsey, Coffs Harbour. Port Macquarie. Port Macquarie, Ballina, Batemans Bay on the south coast. Nara, yeah. Nara and Dubbo. And there, there was almost like a a race every weekend. And it might not have had a lot of prize money, but, you know, every weekend off you'd go to these races. And mm. uh, and it was like that 94-type period. I felt like the sport suddenly became a next level of professional with this, you know, the starting of the the Grand Prix or the Tui's Blue Formula 1 series, they called it at the time, Tui's Blue being a beer. and you know, gone are the days of, I think up until 94, until that series, every race I was sleeping, you know, in the back of the car and grabbing mum's station wagon and sleeping in the back of the car. Yeah. And I'd wait to the end of the, 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 the prize giving for, they'd have barrel draws. Remember the barrel draw? You'd stay yeah, yeah. to the end and Absolutely. they'd pick your race number and you'd, you'd win a, a meat hamper or something. And <laughs> For me, that was like how I was surviving, you know, that and working at Sizzler, but it was that kind of, and then everybody, we'd also wait to the very end and and see if there was any sort of fruit and bananas and anything left over and we'd (laughs) pile that into the car, you know, it was like that. It really was a just love of the sport and you did what you could to make ends meet. Um, But I do remember meeting you in the transition and, you know, and I think for the rest of your career, you never had a pump. Ever, but a race. <laughs> well, I, I learned pretty early on not to bring everybody else would bring a pump <laughs> and i remember one of the first races i ever went to the race director was blowing up because there were too many pumps in transition in everyone so i'm like okay well no point bringing a pump then but mate i do yeah. remember those days fondly as well um driving out i i remember that do you remember the training camp we had it was in threadbow it was late 96 threadbow. early 97 mm-hmm. and Sutter was the national team coach. And I was I was still a full time uni student at the time, but I'd done a World Cup race in Auckland and finished fourth. And Rob Pickard, who was the high performance manager, 
invited me to the camp and you guys were all there and it was a it was an eye-opening experience for me um but it, the sport was so different and, and i remember sato saying to me you know don't just limit yourself to this style of racing or that style of racing you want to you want to do all the different styles of racing so about a month after that camp i went and did my first ever half ironman um and just mm. just like you relayed just saying you it was in a regional area. It was about two or three hours drive from Sydney. I drove out there, had no accommodation, was sleeping in the back of my car in, in, the, in the campground. And, but that was the that was the weekend I met Belinda Granger, BG. And mm. she walked past and I was in the back of my car getting ready to go to sleep and she's like, introduced herself. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm just going to bed, getting ready for the race tomorrow. And <laughs> she actually invited me. She was staying with her friends in a cabin on this campground and, she invited me in and, you know, I got to sleep on top of BG. I was in the top bunk. She was on the bottom bunk. So, <laughs> and I, um, so yeah, just the sport was different back then. I mean, it, I want to say that about that time you and I met, you know, the, the Grand Prix series was revolutionary really because sort of the first year I started in the sport, it was, I think was the last year of non-drafting and it was changing mm. the, the following year in to draft legal, um, Yes, yeah, so in 94, we had our last world champs in Wellington, New Zealand was non-drafting. That's right. And then 95, uh, Cancun world champs became draft legal, yeah. Yeah, so that was about the time I was, I was really getting into it. And, I mean, if you think of the Tui's Blue series, the Formula One series, you know, online promotions, they were ahead of their time because they made their series draft mm-hmm. legal. And, you know, it was purpose-built for TV. But, yeah, it was just a, a great time. The sport um, has has grown into a lot of great things, but I, I remember those early days fondly. And like you, I mean, I had a part-time job as well. I mean, we all did. Most of the athletes did back then. And you got me my job. I don't know if you remember it. Rebel, you were sponsored by Rebel. Rebel Sport, that's Re- right. You were sponsored by Rebel Sport and we used to train with, was it Brent? I think it was Brent, the guy who was. Who, yes, it was Brent Allen was Bre- his name. Brent Allen. Rebel Sport and, uh, and, and Rebel Sport was, yeah, they were one of my first kind of like, like my first sponsor was Silconi and Slingshot Bikes, as you mentioned, but Rebel Sport was my first sponsor where I was with a group of athletes from other sports. So they had AFL footballers, cricketers and every and rugby players and, and they picked a triathlete and it happened to be me. And so we would do these like photo shoots together and I'm with these rock star athletes at the time, you know, And uh, but they were – Rebel Sport was a sports chain in Australia that uh, – Really was everywhere, and and they're an exceptional sponsor. Um, yeah, well, to have. they're still around. I guess they're they're the equivalent of Sports Authority or Dick Sporting Goods or. That. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, but yeah, they're they're still around. And I remember you introducing me to Brent, and Brent saying, "Yeah, we Rebel might be able to do something for you too." And I'm thinking, "Great!" And they got me a job. <laughs> I ended up selling Thursday nights and Saturday afternoons. <laughs> but I I ended up getting. I don't want to say I got fired. I didn't get fired, but I got asked to leave because <laughs> they. It was back in the days when, you know, running shoes weren't as as good as they are now. And mm. you know, back in sort of the mid mid to late nineties, Nike were making shoes more for rappers than they were for runners. You know, they were more they were more a fashion shoe. And I remember they had this shoe that was it was so expensive. And this guy came in one day, and he wanted to run. The city to surf, which is you know a big our biggest fun run in Australia, fifty or sixty thousand people. It's a it's an eight mile fun run, eleven kilometer fun run, and 
you know, he was getting back into running this guy. He hadn't run for years and he was looking at the Nikes. And I'm like, man, you can't run in those. They're, they're not a running shoe. And I, I can't remember what, what brand of shoe I recommended. It was Asics or something. I said, if you're going to start doing some serious mileage, you need something with a bit of support. And anyway, the manager was watching me. They, had, they used to have this two-sided mirror that they could, the managers could, could watch you, I guess, interact with the customers. And <laughs> I got asked to leave because I down, uh, I guess they were, they were wanting you it didn't up. upsell them. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't upsell. I, I downselled. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, my stint at Rebel didn't last too long, but Thanks for the thanks for the foot in the door anyway, Greg. I appreciate. No, it. you're welcome, mate. I have a similar story when I was working at Sizzler. To be honest, I kind of got asked if I would maybe leave. I don't know if it was more being fired, but I used to just give away all the you know, <laughs> toast bread and oh, the toast you bread, know, yeah. and then I'd often refill a free drinks or whatever for people, and you know, you get caught out. It, it, I guess it is a form of stealing, but I. You certainly don't mean it at the time if you're giving away a few cheesy breads from Sizzler, which was the big thing. If everybody remembers, remember that. You know, it was like that parmesan toasted Mate, cheese. I, bread I remember the cheese. Oh. I thought I thought that was their strategy to fill you up on that, so you didn't go to town on the bus. Well, <laughs> well, we we used to bring it. You used to come with a meal. You know, you'd buy a meal, and I think they'd throw that bread on top of it or something. I can't remember what I did, but it was certainly a bit like you. I I screwed up, and I said, like, "Greg, you know, maybe you've had your time here. <laughs> time to move on. Greener path. <laughs> time to move. On. Time to move on, mate." But I just remember you would drive all the way over to Balmoral Triathlon Club, and you know, and and at that same time, um, you know, Simon Whitfield, our, our good mate, had well, Simon and I had kind of become friends probably in nineteen ninety three. I think uh, I'd met him sort of at a race in um, Port Macquarie. And anyway, that's another story. But he joined Balmoral Triathlon Club and then you came along to Balmoral Triathlon Club for a couple of years. You came across and we, we were all sort of under running under the tutelage of Rob Higley, who mm. we, we termed the, the guru. guru. Yep. Um, and boy, did we have a great community at Balmoral Triathlon Club. Just amazing people. When we talk about the socialization of the sport and the community, it really was a special place. And I often look back fondly at that and kind of go, when I look at yourself and myself and, and Simon and how our, our three careers ran together, um, but just how, you know, you went into the, it's not that you didn't have some great World Cup stuff, but you really went into the, the long course and dominated, you know, for that spell. And Whitfield obviously is probably one of the greatest short course athletes ever. And, and I kind of, ticked along on the non-drafting side especially but it was interesting how we all came from that same kind of grassroots place and then the other triathlon club which i'm not sure if you're a member of now but was the cronulla triathlon club so the southern shire of sydney versus the northern beaches and um you know which had greg welsh and and then later on sort of chris mccormack and a few others but it's interesting how many people came out of sydney but the the two different sides it's fun it's fun to look back yeah it was a great scene back then i mean yeah I was living in, well, now, it's now called the inner west of Sydney, but it was the western suburbs back then, and I would come over and train with you guys on a Thursday night. We'd run track, and we had some amazing track sessions, um, mm. you, Simon, and I. They were, and Rob was just an incredible coach. Um, he was just one of those guys who his, the style of his sessions were awesome, but just all the little the feedback and I mean, he was the guru. He just knew all about running, and he was—he was a great guy to be around and to learn from. And I think we pushed each other. And you can throw Darren Carnell into the mix as well. We had a few. Oh, good one! Of course, yes. We had yeah. a—we had a great little crew. Um, 
And that was, I guess, the first time the social side of the sport was opened up to me as well because you guys were traveling to races and then you started inviting me to races and we would stay together and they were just fun, really fun weekends. Mm. Um, and we had those, remember those Saturday morning sessions at Centennial Park with Brian That's Drew, right. Brian and Justin yeah, we, Drew. and Yeah, yeah. well, now Justin Drew's the, the national... Uh, performance director for triathlon Australia, yeah. but he but his dad brian drew yeah he he was coaching us all there in the the 90s on the bike and i think we did share it on our previous podcast episode i'll never forget the crash that we had yes in in centennial park and i don't know this is how i remember it so i could be a little off but i remember it was a one hour time trial with you me simon whitfield and was darren with us i can't remember i can't remember if darren was there yeah but but we were time trialing and right when the hour hit, and again, this is how I remember it, you <laughs> sat up, <laughs> immediately sat up, and I just went straight up the back of you and went flying along the ground at, let's call it 60K an hour because I'm sure that's what we were doing in a team <laughs> and just went so flying along the ground. But I went so fast that I actually didn't really hurt myself. I kind of burnt my butt and my, my side of my leg as I slid, but I kind of was able to get back on the bike. Did you go down in that crash? I went down, yeah. You you slid you for you slid forever. You overtook me on your backside. <laughs> you came flying past me on the seat of your pants. But yeah, I was I mean I was so raw back then. I remember one of the sessions just before that, whatever the session was, I think if we we're doing um 10 Ks or 10 minutes, I actually went too long because we weren't back at the start finish so i thought you'd just finish off and someone got stuck into me no once the 10 minutes is up or the 10k that that's that's when the effort ends so i thought okay oh that must be the way it's done then so yeah the next week we had to do an hour and yeah the hour ticked over and i thought okay we're done here (laughs) (laughs) and and you went down and and you put your parachute up (laughs) you slid you slid for miles (laughs) <laughs> I just remember that. That is funny. Uh, mate, how do you think? I mean, let's move on a little bit because, I mean, we've both seen triathlon grow. I mean, when we look at the 30-plus years that sort of been in it or around it, um, you know, and I, uh, this conversation could go forever when we talk about some of the – who we think is the greatest of all time triathlete. Um, and, and And it's – Interesting these days because everybody wants to talk about the new school. Yeah. But you and I did race the old school. And what I mean by the old school is the the Greg Walsh, uh, Simon Lessing, Mark Allen, of course, and Dave Scott and, and the Brad Bevan who destroyed us yeah. every single race throughout the 90s. Um, and then if you think about Europeans, people like Rob Burrell. Yeah. Um, and then the women, I uh, let me not forget the women, uh, Karen Smyers and who I want to have on this show shortly, uh, McKeeley Jones, yeah. of course, and um, – let me think. Natasha Badman, Paul Newby Fraser, and Aaron Baker. I mean, Aaron. there's just there's just a plethora of old school greatest of all time athletes. But these days we keep hearing, you know, the Brownleys, Gomez, Fredino, you know, um, Flora Duffy, Gwen Jorgensen, Nicholas Spirig, that you know, that group. Um what, what do you think? I mean, if we were to say who are some of the greatest of all times. And, and if we say, let's pick the best five men and five women, you reckon you could do it? You reckon you have an idea? Um, I'd have a crack at it. I mean, <clears throat> I, I take your point. I think I was reading the other day uh, a, an interesting article actually and because of COVID last year and there wasn't a lot of sport on, people were craving content and there was a lot of these discussions across all sports. And mm. what this guy who was writing the article was saying is there's a thing called recency bias where 
mm-hmm. because of the most recent performances. That's what we remember the most clearly. And also because of social media, it's just more widely seen now. These clips yeah. go viral. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, taking into account all of that, I just think the people who are great in whatever era it was would have been champions in other eras as well because of they had all those sort of characteristics that you need. Um, so it's, 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 it's hard. It's interesting, you know, because we, when we talk about training, for instance, we always try and normalize things like with power, what's your average power, what's your normalized power. And the reason we normalize power is so you, so you can compare from Mm. a hilly course to a flat course or to make a valid comparison. So, I mean, how do you normalize between eras when you're talking about, um, who the greatest athlete is, but I mean, if you, Five names, okay. Well, I start. Well, I think let, let, let me let me interrupt quickly before you do your five. I think you, me, Chris McCormack, the one that have the ones that have raced the three generations are the normalizers. Mm. We're not the media that watched. We were the ones in the races getting beaten up or doing the beating up at times. You know, like I, I put when I did my top ten, I, I have you and 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 Macker in that and and Whitfield. You know, like. So it's kind of like we were in it. And so it's a great way. We had that feeling of, you know, if Greg Welsh is next to me, where am I going to beat him? Type mm, thing. Yeah. Now, you know, I raced Gomez and Brownlee. I've raced the Jan Fredino, but then I also raced the generations before. And so you, you got a sense of feeling of that athlete and not just their weapons, swim, bike, run, but them as a champion the champion athlete, that, that winning mindset. Mm. Um, yeah, well, so that's why yeah. I think you and I, we can have this discussion with, thump, with some authority. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's always going to be a tough one, but I think every person has different criteria. And, and, and you mentioned some of the things that I look at. I mean, at their best, what were they like? I think that's important. Um, mm. Mm. You think, um, you know, when, when an athlete's at their very best, um, what is their level? So that's important, but also how consistent they are because some athletes could you know, lay down a performance and you'd be just like, wow, that was special. But then they just they mightn't win a race for six months or 12 months, so they weren't, yeah. they weren't able to replicate um, as often. Um, I guess longevity, I, I kind of look at things like, like someone like McKeeley, for argument's sake, when, <clears throat> when she was racing in the U.S., in the 90s and, and early 2000s, some of those races in Chicago, like she was racing Karen and she was racing Emma Carney and Carol Montgomery. And, and they were the, I mean, I think it's important not just what the race was, what it was called, but who was in it, who they had to beat um, it, consistently, who were the, the opposition that, that the athlete was coming up and, and McKeeley I mean are we separating guys and girls for this discussion or is it all in together we can do whatever you want mate <laughs> we can do whatever you want yeah it's, it's I kind of have McKeeley in there as as one of the first people male or female because I just think you know she won world titles at non-drafting and then at drafting um so she was able to I guess uh evolve with the sport and then she stepped up and, and throw in a couple of, I want to say she won an Xterra World Championship as well. So throw that in. Um, wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, she'd won an Xterra Worlds. And and look, the era, different eras are different too. I mean, I think <clears throat> maybe back when McKeeley was doing Xterra, it was 
a lot of the athletes who were racing standard triathlons would just jump across and do it. Whereas these days, yeah, you they have, weren't the specific. Yeah, that these days people specialise. So I, I think winning one an Xterra World Title in the last ten or fifteen years means a lot more. But again, this this is where the discussion is so hard because how much do you weight it because of that? Um, mm. So. Uh, I, I, don't. I think that I think you look at it in terms of a dominance. Like there's this this string of consistency is important. I think you've got to take that into account. But yeah. matching that consistency with titles, then matching that with the ability to, you know, the spreadsheet I have, I actually put a lot of weight on your ability to swim, to bike, and to run yeah. in, independently of each other. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of people that have won massive titles that aren't swimmers at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and they've been able to get away and hide in a pack or whatever. Um, and are just extraordinary runners and run through and take the wins. And, you know, without mentioning names, you know, you and I have probably both got guys that we're thinking about that are very good at that. And it's, but then also the ability, I like you, you touched with McKeeley is to go on the varying distances, whether it be draft legal, non-drafting Olympic to then, you know, half Ironman 70.3 and then, you know, the full distance, um, the ability to do all of that in a career. And I think McKeeley, you know, of all the people has done that extraordinarily well, um, drafting, non-drafting Olympic, then 70.3s, Ironmans and all the races in the US. Um, so, yeah, and, and her ability to swim, bike and run. You know, she didn't have a weakness. They were all weapons. Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's a tough athlete to beat. I just think that if, you know, before the ITU became the, the truly global dominant Olympic distance circuit, a lot of those races, I mean, it was it was – the best athletes who would perform on the IT who you were racing in those races as well. So, mm. I mean, a lot of those races on McKeeley's resume, they count for something because she was beating, as I said, Karen, Erin, um, Emma, Carney, Jackie, Carol Montgomery, and they were the they were the cream of the crop. So, I mean, it's it's just it, it's very hard to. I mean, we I guess to your point. We've sort of spanned a few generations so you can look. But you, because of that, we've also seen the sport evolve as well. And and what you see is that what the great athletes do, whatever the era, is they train for the demands and the competition that they're going to face. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we started in the sport, it looked completely different. It, I mean, people would, people would start um, in their late teens or early 20s. They would have come from other sports. It's not the sport it is today. And, you know, I think you need to take that. I mean, I was up with my daughter on Saturday, Lucy. She does the odd triathlon. She's more of a runner, but she's in a Try New South Wales Junior Pathway program. And so you've got kids from about 15 years of age to 18 or 19. And, man, you should see the training they're doing, Greg. They're, they're practicing mounting and dismounting, cornering, um, and just the mm -hmm. style of training. And, and Lucy's 15. I'm looking at that thinking, I didn't do that kind of training until I was 25. Just to and even and even then, it was an afterthought. You know? Exactly, and, yeah, and just yeah. the, the way you know the coach is talking about cadence and um, all these sorts of things. I, I, I mean, the sport is just different. So, to your point now, I mean, if, if you wanted to jump in, if, if you're a twenty or twenty-five year old triathlete, you've grown up watching triathlon in the Olympics, whereas we didn't. We didn't grow up watching it in the Olympics, and. And I just think if you want to go to the Olympics for triathlon now, you have to be a great swimmer. You, you cannot yeah. miss that no, front no. group. And then there was a time that even you know, being a great swimmer but the bike ride would relax, well, there's none of that anymore because you've got no. guys like Alistair and, 
and Vincent up the front, they just get straight on the bike. And but then look at the run they're doing as well. Exactly. I mean, one of the things that blows my mind, I remember, was it 2000 or 2001, and I did the Vancouver Sun Run. It was a 10K run race, and I broke 30 minutes. That was almost newsworthy in triathlon. Mm. I remember coming down to the race St. Anthony's. It was a World Cup down here in Florida, and everyone was talking about how Greg Bennett broke 30 minutes for the 10K. Mate, now... Have you seen what these young guys yeah, are doing for the 5K? They are incredible, yes. They're not just – they're going under 14 minutes and well under for 14 minutes. Yeah. And then someone like a Vincent Lewis is still outrunning them and he hasn't posted his 5K, you know, what he's doing at home and, and he's also leading the swim. I mean, there, there it are blows th- my mind. It blows my mind what is coming into the sport yeah. now. It's, it's, you know? it's so impressive. It's so, so impressive. But, I mean, I, re- I remember – Oh, when I first started, and I think the first year, well, that, that Wellington Worlds was the first year I was really in the sport. Spencer Smith was the world champ. He won Worlds. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd sort of seen or heard of Spencer. And he beat Brad. The Croc got second. And I just remember mm-hmm. the Croc was big news in Australia. Of course, he was big news globally. But for a young guy in Australia who was reading the triathlon magazines, I knew all about Brad. And then this guy from the UK <laughs> beat him. and. And I remember while she's saying to me that that's where the sport's going. You know, Spencer's almost like a prototype in that you have to swim around 16 minutes for the 1500. And if you, if you don't, you're not going to be in, even in the conversation. I think Spencer that year, well, you had one of the quickest bikes, but what did you guys ride close to 50 minutes on a very hilly, windy yeah, course? I, uh, I, had, I had a big bike day that day, but Spencer still, I had such a poor swim that he was a minute in front, a minute and a half in front in the swim that. I think the gap basically stayed a minute and a half and then I got off the bike second but then had I think 12 guys ran past me. I was still stoked. I won a thousand bucks for 14th. It was like the biggest, it was a big, I was so happy. It was, it was my first world champs and, and, uh, my, I just wrapped up university and it was a real highlight. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know, not, I mean, not really. It was just kind of more like, wow, maybe I can do this, you know, but someone like Spencer, he was just, well, I just, he, he, yeah, he was, way up the road. Two minute lead off the bike, and then no one went close. Well, to he had a two, he had the lead off the bike, and then he ran the first five k in just over fifteen minutes. Yeah, and increased his lead. And I, I remember seeing him running down that those photos of him running down the the, the finish shoot, and he was carrying this huge flag, the Union Jack. Was, <laughs> that probably slowed him down two minutes. It was the biggest flag I've ever seen, but. <laughs> And then, I mean, after the race, reading about that the other great athlete from the UK, Simon Lessing, Simon Lessing wasn't even in that race. And mm. But that's where I remember Walsh saying, you yeah, know, that's where the sport's going. I mean, you know, people were coming into the triathlon from surf club and from, from other sports. And But, yeah, I think Greg was the first one who sort of brought to my attention that that's where the sport was going. And, and now you see it. I mean, in Australia, we've got Jake Burtwistle, who was mm. he was an elite, elite runner as a junior and we were lucky to get him into our sport and and you look at like you say that all these kids are posting their times on social media um they just come through as elite athletes from a younger age and they get to such a high level so early on and that just forces the level of racing through the roof i mean those Mm. draft legal itu races are so good to watch they're so competitive and yeah it's just the evolution of the sport A quick mini break, I really want to encourage you to do something special for yourself and sign up to Athletic Greens and get a free year supply of vitamin D 
and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. I'm loving the new Hypervolt Go percussion massage device from Hyperice. It's powerful, quiet, lightweight, and TSA approved so I can use it while I travel. Check out the Hypervolt Go and all the other incredible Hyperice gear at hyperice.com and use code GREG10 for a 10% discount. That's hyperice.com. But you have guys that, that do make the dramatic impacts. Like you mentioned, you know, the Spencer Smith, the Simon Lessing. Mm. For us as for us as Australians, it was Greg Welsh, Brad Bevan, to some extent, Miles Stewart. Yep. And and they were the one, they were the ones changing. They were the ones that were actually saying, we're going to go even faster again. Yep. And then you step forward, and sure, you kind of have our group kind of came in a little bit, but I'll never forget meeting and uh, seeing Javier Gomez mm. from Spain race, and and this young guy just boy did he just change the sport again. Yeah, you know, it was like next gear. What are we going to do? And then suddenly, Javier Gomez starts getting beaten by this young Alistair Brownlee, who's like yeah. 18, 19, 20. And I was like, what? And this, I remember watching Alistair Brownlee at the Olympics in 2008, just leading that run for the first 5K. I was like, what? Yeah. He's 18, you know, know. He's, and he's crushing it. And then he ended up, I, where did he finish? Seventh, I think, at that Olympics. But, you know, and then he obviously went on to win gold at London, which was, I still think, one of the great performances we've ever seen because yeah. of all the pressure that went with it, you know, home Olympics, 100,000 people on the course, everything that went. And then him just laying down that 29.07. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, yeah. On, on not a fast run. And I mean, I had Javier Gomez on the show. He said, Greg, I had the greatest run and race of my life. I was simply beaten by the better man. He said, I believe the Olympics would be won with a 29-15 run. And he said, I ran a 29-14 or whatever. And he said, I got beaten because he ran a 29-06 or whatever. Unbelievable. So, I know. Just look. And, and that's I think that what you just talked about, people changing the sport, that factors into the conversation of who the mm. greatest is. I mean, Javier definitely did because I think he not only brought an unbelievably high level in all three disciplines, he brought an unbelievable consistency. Like every single- Still is. Yeah. Still is. Every yeah. single time that man steps on the race course, you know the level he's going to bring. It, oh, yeah. And, and Alistair's the same though. And Alistair changed the sport for me as well. I just think that 09 season where he- he ran the table. He won all the WTS events, all five of them or six of them, whatever. There, there was yeah, one in Washington, yeah, yeah, D.C. Yeah. and he, Madrid, he just won them all. Um, so, yeah, and, I mean, I'm not going to forget Jan. I just think Jan has – I mean, I was reading that Jan's big ITU win, he, he didn't medal at an ITU Awards, but, I mean, he won the Olympics and it's called the Olympic distance for a reason because I think the Olympics is <laughs> the main event. I mean, it's... Well, look, he, he, he won the Olympics. He did defend pretty well for those next three to four years. Yeah. Now, you've got to remember, his defense was up every single time he raced was against Alistair Brownlee and Javier Gomez. Absolutely. They Absolutely. were coming into their own, right? So, I mean, it wasn't like... And the Olympic gold, when he won it, was out sprinting probably two of the greatest sprinters I've seen in our sport with Simon Whitfield and Bever yeah, Doherty. Yeah, 100%. That was a two, uh, two guys I never want to be in the finals finishing straight and Jan Frudino out sprinted them. Absolutely. It was, one of that, was one of the great, that was one of the great races and the great finishes really for a race. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, and then what do you think about Jan and his, 
obviously equipment's changed and, and products and things and, and, and Kona's gotten faster and had good years. But, you know, then him going to Kona, uh, he beats – did he beat your record or was it no, Patrick Pat, Lang? Pat, Patrick had broken my record and then – He beat yours and then, and then Jan took it a step further. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that, his performance there? Yeah, I just think Jan is – he's class. He's a class yeah, athlete. Yeah, he he's yeah. from every – one of whatever criteria or category you're looking at from his physical ability to his mental game, um, his tactics, just his professionalism, his equipment, everything. Mm-hmm. He checks every box. Um, I agree with you. I think that's where he goes next level. I think he has some ability. I actually don't think he's, in terms of physical, I don't think he's one of the great talents. No. When I had his co- coach on, Dan Lorang, he's like, these are your numbers? When he first started walking with him, he's like, Yeah. Huh? You know, and that, when you hear that from his coach, you kind of go, wow, the reason he's winning is because he's dotting every I and crossing every T and getting everything he can out of himself. What about the women? We've talked about the breakthrough men. What about the women? I mean, Daniela Riff, what she's done in this last 10 years is just mind-boggling. But before her, Chrissy Wellington, what she did in the Ironman, uh, just unbelievable. Nicola Spiri, Nicola. Nicola, Nicola, I look at as just this consistent 20 plus years now of just this unbelievable when she wants it she'll turn up and she'll perform. just a champion just a champion <laughs> that, that's the champion's mindset to so the ability yeah. to just get in the shape you need to be in and bring mentally your a game on the big day she's yeah she's a champion yeah. I mean, and what about I, I? You know who I've liked this last sort of five to ten years as well is uh, watching Flora Duffy yes, change up yeah. change up the women's racing. Yeah. I think that's been really fun, and I, I think she's healthy now. So I think you know, being that we get to have an Olympics in these next eighteen months or something. Well, Flora's um, Flora's incredible because she's yeah. like you talk about having no weaknesses. Oh. I mean, she she wins those races when the gun goes off and gets straight to the lead. And pushes but what's impressive about it is you and I have watched her for 15 years. Yeah. From this young girl in Bermuda kind of, you know, almost like what's she doing, you know, in the sport? Is she going to suddenly just this, whew, found found the right formula, whatever it was for her, and uh, hasn't stopped. It was really quite incredible. She's- and then you've had a lot of the women we've seen, I think Emma Snowsill, Australian, I think she sort of stepped in. She she stepped in for a good five to seven years, but there's been a lot of women that t- do tend to step in for a shorter period of time, like a Gwen Jorgensen kind of yep. dominated for two years, yep. like dominated. Um, and we've seen a lot more of that, I think, in the women where they come in for a two- to three-year period, they win every single race. I can't remember how many Gwen did in a row on the on the World Series, but basically everything um i mean even to some extent chrissy wellington did that where it was mm. four or five years absolute dominance no one could even get a whiff of she was gone and then she's like okay that'll do Boom. <laughs> Done. it was like oh <laughs> she's come and gone already you, you got to respect that um, too I, I like that about, oh absolutely i like that about chrissy she it was all in all the time and she knew that at what it just wasn't sustainable with her personality and the way she was and she knew the right time I mean, as someone who's a fan of the sport, I was gutted because I wanted to see her keep racing. Um, yeah, well, her, she said her final race when Rini basically stayed behind her for two minutes the entire way and she was dealing with all these injuries. 2011, and yeah. 11, and she just said it took every – she said that was the perfect race, not because it was the perfect race on paper in terms of times or anything, but it was the perfect race where I got everything out of myself. Yeah. You know, and she said I can't – 
do any more than that. Yeah. I can't do any yeah. more than that. And that's where it's interesting what Jan Fredino is going to do in the future here because I kind of look at his 2019 where he went that 8.52 and just everything. It was like, what do you do? Where do you go from there? Well, that's, <laughs> you know? to, that, that's, a, see, and that, that's the thing to, to your point. How do you normalize performances between eras and whether it's a fast year or a slow year, um, what, what you know is that on a given day at a world championships, the athletes who are out there racing are all racing the same conditions and mm. they have access to the same technology, the same equipment, the same training techniques, whatever the advancements are in nutrition. And, and that day in 2019 in a stacked field, I mean, you and I know how good T.O. is, Sebi, mm. these are great athletes. Yarn won by nine minutes. So mm. historically I think the gap from first to second is, is closer to three or four. So he was more than two times better than his mile, A mile up the road, a good mile yeah. up the road, yeah. my, 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 and two kilometres almost in front. Absolutely. I mean, and and yeah, that yeah. to me that's one of those sort of all-time historic performances. I don't, I don't need to put – I mean, we live in an age now we like to label things and this is the fastest yeah, yeah. time. And it's hard. I mean, you and I have had this conversation in our sport because – course has changed i mean kona they've changed the course when, when i broke the record it was a different course to other what, times the swims short or the yes, swims yes. you know and it's like well hang on where did they put this it, it really is difficult to do that with records for for us Absol- absolutely really but on a given yeah. day on a given day like that day Jan was yeah. nearly 10 minutes better than the second best guy in the yeah, world what was it because hang on tio came tio broke eight minutes eight, eight, eight hours yeah. excuse me um and I think young, so it must have been about six minutes. I think it must have. 52. No, I think it was about eight. It wasn't at eight minutes. It was about eight minutes. So oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because Tio just went. He just, Tio just dipped under it. And I think Yarn was like a 750. So it was around eight minutes, seven or eight minutes. Yeah. 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 No, no I get it. But uh, yeah, I mean, just outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding performance. I mean, you talked about, you, you brought up equipment. What do you, what do you think? I mean, I don't know if you've tried, and this is, I'm not sponsored or anything, and um, I'm just talking freely here. I tried on somebody else's. Nike, yeah, um, I did the same. Next, next percent or four percents, mate. And all I did was run down the hallway. I have never felt so spring loaded in my entire life. Yeah, I had the what same experience. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I tried them. I tried them recently, and um, you know, not being nearly as fit as as we used to be, but you can still run a little test at a certain heart rate. You can cap mm-hmm. it, and man, yeah, I was about seven or eight seconds a kilometer quicker in the shoe with the carbon plate. I, th- I think that that would probably change for each athlete. For me, they just seem to really suit my run style. Oh, mid, mid to but there's sport. also, it's not just the carbon plate, it's whatever that foam they're using. Well, you know what? It really has a responsiveness to it. That that was the thing for, it wasn't just the, everyone was raving about the carbon plate. It's, it's It sort of absorbs energy and then releases it on toe off so you get that propulsion yeah. and and. That may be true, and it feels it feels like that. Like I agree, I had a similar sensation. It feels like sort of running on springs, I guess, for one of a better description. But what I noticed with the thirty-eight mil sort of foam sole mm. was on older legs, it just became enjoyable to run again. I could, I, I would run and not be sore and think, oh, yeah. I, I could run again tomorrow if I wanted to. I mean, well, I did, I did that years ago when I I, um, I didn't have a shoe sponsor and and I'd been injured and I grabbed a pair of at the time it was the Hoka. Yeah, everybody was looking at the Hoka one one shoe and and I remember running in front of our lake there at Wonderland Lake and and going, oh my goodness, I can run without pain. Yeah, and then I was like, yeah. I knew Laura was running down on 
what's the trail down there where we always did the repeats, the 1K? Cottonwood. Cottonwood, yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'll just run down and see how Laura's going. So I ran down and knew the car was down there so I could get there. Found Laura and did some repeats with her and I ran, ended up running 20K and I hadn't run for a couple of months. I'd been injured and everything else. I was like, my goodness. And then just recently, I was like, okay, I want to get back into running again. I put on a few pounds and get my running going. I went and just got the Nike uh, Pegasus. And they don't have carbon plate in them, but they have the same kind of foam. Yeah. Mate, like you said, it's made running enjoyable again. Yeah. I, I am bouncing down the road over to the golf course and I just feel there, there's something about those shoes. I do think there's been, that has been a huge uh evolution in speed yeah. um, for, for, for running. And anybody that questions it hasn't tried on the shoes. <laughs> well, you just have to look at the times. But but also yeah, I think yeah. what's <clears throat> maybe overlooked is the consistency benefit as well. You, I mean, it's performance yeah. enhancing to be able to train more consistently. So if you are able to log more miles and yeah. harder sessions more regularly because you're recovering better, well, over time, as you know, over the course of weeks and months, that's going to lead to better fitness. Massive. So um yeah, I, yeah, it's one of the. I, I never thought we'd see that sort of technology in shoes with bikes. It probably started ten or twelve years ago. Um, I mean, we, mm. I mean, you and I again going back to the eighties and nineties. A lot of the things that we see now were around, but I don't think we had the materials or the manufacturing to make them strong enough. Like you used to see carbon wheels, but they were heavy, or mm. um, <clears throat> bikes that would break. You know the old. Uh, soft ride bike. Uh, well, remember the original Kestrels? Remember, yes, remember yeah. team, team Barracuda? Remember the Barracuda goggles team in the late 80s, yep. early 90s? And they were all sponsored by Kestrel, this carbon fiber bike. And we all had these steel frame things. But you go lift one of these original Kestrels, and no offense to Kestrel, because I was sponsored by Kestrel for a while there too, but they were really heavy. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they were really heavy. Yeah. I don't know how much carbon they use, but my goodness. Oh, well, that's that. that I the, think that's what. One of the main advancements with the carbon technology, the way they lay down the carbon, they didn't mm. need to make it solid. That was it was hollow in the middle because they could lay it in a way that it was stronger. So needed less material, and so then you get the strength and the weight benefit because it's now quarter of the weight that it used to be. And but yeah, I mean, you know, you see the ceramic bearings come in as well, and then the coating on the chains and wheel technology has changed <clears throat> a little bit and. Tires. I mean, every everything's changed, and and I, I think with bikes it was understandable with the all the testing in the wind tunnel, and you know I guess some of the advancements coming in from um, testing in like motor racing and, and wheel technology elsewhere. But the running shoe one for me was the mind blowing one. It was yeah, I agree. I just thought I you know I always felt running would just be man against man. Um, no, but yeah, I think you know it's it's inevitable. With the advancements in the innovation, it infiltrates all areas of life. So eventually, it gets to sport as well. Well, I, I kind of I, when I picked up those running shoes and tried them a few years ago, and I was like, I'm going to make a comeback. <laughs> Just that's how good I felt when I put them on. Yeah. Like, my, well, that, that's uh, what I, makes it. It's a good point. That, that's what I miss because you know part yeah. part of the mentality is pushing yourself and setting new benchmarks for yourself. And when you see the the bikes, you know, I mean, one of the things I love about being out in Kona watching is watching these guys and girls roll out the Queen K every year. They look amazing. And that's, again, part of the evolution of in each of the disciplines in triathlon, we're getting closer to those single discipline sports. And, you know, you watch the tour. I think, of, I think we're almost in front of them. Yeah. In some well, respect. absolutely. Sometimes I look at the way the guys and girls look on their time trial bikes now. And I'm like, 
I mean, I know there's more restrictions in the UCI stuff, but yeah, I'm like, boy, they look phenomenal. Yeah. I, I went up to watch the Challenge Daytona race last December, um, and you know, it was uh, the one race of the year for nearly everybody, and it was it was big money for them all, and and it's 80 kilometers, um, or maybe a bit longer. Actually, it might have been 90 kilometers, and but all around dead flat around the Daytona Raceway, and I just watch these guys in this beautiful positions, all of them. All of them look fantastic. You know, there was there was very little that most of them could do to probably perform even better in terms of aerodynamics. Yeah. But I look back and, you know, remember even, what, only 15 years ago when, when you first when, won your first Kona Ironman and you and I were both sponsored by Orbea Bikes. And, yep. um, you know, great bike, but I don't think we spent a lot of time getting ourselves – we didn't work on – aerodynamics we just well nobody did jump then. on the bike and, no, nobody you know i mean a lot of the bikes then too almost like hybrid um road but i mean you would remember when we'd go to yeah. when you'd go to something like lifetime fitness or high v often what you do is just switch the front end put the aero bus set up on the front I mean, it'd be the same yeah. it'd be the same bike that you would ride in a draft legal race or yeah. i think it was about oh nine that the super bikes the real we started taking it seriously, the yeah. helmets and the bikes, yeah. And, yeah. and just the companies. I mean, you know, Trek, yeah. Trek released the Speed Concept. I want to say that was 09. Yeah. Scott released the Plasma. Um, yeah. uh, Giant had the Trinity. It was about 09 that those those super bikes sort of – because I think they, they just stopped following the UCI restrictions and said we're just going to make specific time trial bikes with bladed tubing, thicker tubing, um, more aerodynamic tubing. And I think that's – that was about 09, yeah, it was about 09, 2010, mm. so 10 years ago that it became more of a thing because, yeah. yeah, I mean, we would go. We didn't even care. It was just whoever's the fittest is going to win. We didn't even care. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, this whole aerodynamic thing is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, that was a lot of the mindset for sure. People would just be yeah. like, oh, is it is it marketing? There's, there's a bit of talk about it, but, I mean, you looked at most people and certainly across the board, the guys and girls back then, you know, we, we didn't have the positions that they do today and we didn't we didn't go through the the testing of bike position and bike set because you didn't have the tools. I mean, all the different yeah. uh, motion capture cameras that they use now, like the retool camera for bike fit, that just didn't exist then. So you did it no. you did it with a plumb. There wasn't nearly the information. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. now it's so much data though. I mean, that's kind of the next evolution we're seeing is all the wearable devices now. Yeah. Um from sleep recovery devices to um, actually, I had a. This is an interesting one. I'm and I'm going to have a chat with him in this next week. Um, I had Doctor uh, Joseph Maroon on a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic episode. If you want to listen to any of them, I really enjoyed it. He's a, a neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a 80 year old and, and just came out with a book called Square One: um, A Simple Guide for to a Balanced Life. And so a lot of it was talking about burnout and, and finding yourself, but. He was talking about how he's working with this company called Apollo Neuro. And Apollo Neuro is a, is a wearable device that actually does something to you. This is his words, not mine. It does something to you rather than just receiving data. You know, it's not just saying what your heart rate is or heart rate variability or, and all of that. It's, it actually, through vibrations, can help your body go into a, a parasympathetic yeah, a high, state. I see it primes your nervous system, yeah. And isn't that amazing that we could be getting to the point that we could be wearing wearables that reduce the the flight or fight you know that anxiety that you might be having yeah remove a lot put you into that rest and digest state just through a wearable device that blows my mind that that's where 
we're kind of at now. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. I haven't seen it, but I'm looking forward to giving it a go. Yeah, I, w- I want to say To had a, a sponsor a couple of years ago. It was, I think, it was. He a head- still does. I think the headphones. It's a headset one, headphones one. Yeah. I didn't. I always thought he looked a bit funny. I was like, you know, a cynical Australian. Um, but the more I talk to these people, the more I'm starting to realize, huh? Well, I think something cool. Like the, the, yeah. Well, they're absolutely, mate. And the thing is, and I keep saying our generation, we're a bit older, but. When we were racing, there was a lot of talk about these sorts of things, but usually they were snake oils and just mm, it was mm. pie in the sky. Yeah, for every ten good ideas that people talk to you about, this is going to make you go quicker as an athlete. Nine of them ended up being ridiculous and mm. never coming to fruition. But I think the science and technology has caught up to the point now where we're starting to hear about these things that you know, and it is possible because of the science. Whereas twenty years ago, you would just think that that's outrageous. I mean, mm. people are just reaching now. I mean, and that's why I think our generation, we always come back to that, oh, nothing's a substitute for good old-fashioned hard work. And, and that doesn't change. That's still the cornerstone now. But I, I think what we're seeing now is just with science and technology and innovation, the last five or ten years where it's gone, not just in sport but everywhere, it's, it's, it's incredible. And mm. there's these applications now in sport that, if someone had mentioned it to you 25 years ago, you would have just laughed right in their face. <laughs> but it's possible now. Yeah, I mean, I I remember as a uni student, the theory we were learning about <clears throat> the nervous system, and they were talking about getting to that elevated state of performance if you can prime the nervous system. And nobody had even figured out how you would do that. But the mm-hmm. theory was it was possible. So I think now what we're seeing is people are coming up with these wearable devices, this wearable tech that you're talking about. And and that's what we're seeing. It's amazing, isn't it? You remember that one? Um, everyone was wearing that bracelet for a while. Yes. It's like a, ba- a balance bracelet. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what, what I was. Ever. I was. I thought of that as well. <laughs> Did that work? We, it worked for someone. That, someone made a million dollars out of it. <laughs> everyone was buying these bracelets, going, "Yeah, you can't push me over on one leg if I wear this thing." <laughs> <laughs> Have six beers and try again. <laughs> I know. I just, I just remember. I mean, I think that's where, you know, these days I am kind of cynical with a lot of stuff because I've gone through so much of it that you kind of maybe it's just an age thing. It just I'm becoming a cynical old man, grumpy old man, looking at all this stuff. But I am excited about trying a lot of these new products. Um, the other thing I've just started using is, um, you know, when I do go for a swim, are these uh, form swim goggles, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, a unbelievable that you can look in your little screen. In your, in your goggles, and you can see your pace and your heart rate and your cadence. I, I don't know. For me, all of this stuff is just – how do I describe it? It's like the future is now here. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. like – I remember that show Back to the Future or whatever yeah. it was called growing up in the 80s? Marty McFly. <laughs> Marty McFly. That's right. It's just like – Wow, here we are, hoverboards and yeah. and goggles where I can see how fast I'm and going. And it's kind of cool. I mean, I know I got a power meter on my bike for the first time in 2007 and mm. it wasn't the numbers and the, the actual power that was interesting. It was more how my cadence influenced that and different stress. And, you know, and in races, that's what I used it more for, just saying within a cadence range and more technical cues, which I think mm. with the goggles, it, you, know, you know, the tendency when you swim and get fatigued is to shorten your – shorten your stroke length and and you tend to spin your wheels a little bit as they say as they call it so i think all that sort of feedback that technical feedback if it gets you staying on task with 
the things that each athlete needs to do to be most efficient, it, it can help. Yeah, even if it's just some of the time, right? I mean, it's yeah. like us with power meters. I always found with a power meter, I would almost go a year on and a year off. Yeah. And it was yeah. not not exact science like that, but I found like sometimes I just didn't want to know. You know, I just want to go and push myself or go easy and I just don't want to be told or have that feedback. I needed that freedom. And some some athletes are different. They love having the data all the time. But I, I sometimes needed to have that, that escape from it, you know. Um, I remember – was it Andreas Raylert in Ironman? He used to put the SRM and yeah, the head uh, under his saddle, yeah, under his seat, and he so he couldn't watch it, but he'd have the data for after the race. Yeah, um, yeah, he used to know, take I, the, I, the head unit under the seat. <laughs> maybe he could have won if he'd. Um, put, <laughs> well, or, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Andreas, that's not nice. Or maybe, <laughs> or maybe he wouldn't have performed as good. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's yeah, the, it's true. That could be the ultimate in self-awareness, you know. Each athlete, he has four seconds there. He's got four seconds in Kona, four or five. Yeah, he's got a few. Yeah. Mate, an un- unbelievable, places. unbelievable consistency that man had. Yeah. It was, yeah. But um, I mean, you know, yeah. may- maybe he was. I mean, every athlete needs a self awareness, and maybe he thought that he was the kind of athlete who would be paralysed by the numbers if he kept seeing numbers that he didn't expect yeah. to see. So maybe he just said, you know, I'm just going to remove that from the equation. Emotional. Yeah. It's almost like an emotional having to having to manage your expectations Absolutely. while you're under while you're under duress is not easy, and so if you can't. If you know that that's not something you want to spend your energy on, you know, you know yourself well enough to put it under your seat. It, ta- it takes a fair bit. Of, it takes a fair bit of courage to do it when nobody else was doing it, and mm, maybe there's true. an element of risk involved. So yeah, I mean, maybe it was a, just a big self awareness play on his part, and um, yeah, who knows? I mean, if you think about it now, where we're at in terms of recovery because of all this data, recovery tools. I mean, you and I were probably two of the earliest people do you start using the normatec compression boots yep. you know um gosh remember that i remember matthias hecht brought them he was living with us in boulder colorado and he um he brought them in and we we're like what are these and uh and gillard and um, what's his name i can't remember his second name gillard gillard Jacobs. Normatec. Yeah, gillard Jacobs. Jacobs. thank you thank you thank you gillard jacobs and uh and those compression boots were just fantastic just to sit in i Sometimes I wondered if it was just an excuse to sit in front of the telly and, and uh, you know, I can't do anything. I'm in the boots. Laurie, you're going to have to cook dinner. <laughs> can you bring me some? You can bring me a drink and some food. I can't get out. That's, that's what's called a fringe benefit. <laughs> yeah. But I, I've, been, I've been using, I mean, they got bought out by Hyperice and I've been using all their Hyperice gear just now. Like I just, my hips are always so sore and everything. So I use all their massage stuff now just to get me out of the door. But you think about having to get to massages and chiropractics like we we were doing so much of. Mm. Um, now I think you can do a lot more with all this tech stuff at home. You, yeah, are you working with anybody for that sort of stuff? Do you? I still do a bit that, with Norma Tech, yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and I, I yeah. look, you and I both know that the most important thing you can do to recover is to sleep as much as possible oh, yeah. and to eat well. And yeah. that, that'll always be the foundation. But there are a lot of things. I mean, I've always been a huge fan of massage and body work and even functional moving movement in the gym, um, reinforcing yeah. those good movement patterns, which leads to better performance and better recovery. But there's a lot of things I think with the technology now you can do at home for sure. To, I mean, you want you want to start that recovery process as soon as possible after each session. And you know, if you're traveling, if you're in a hotel room, it's sometimes it's just not possible to get to a massage or to the Cairo. No. Um, yeah. So you can fast track your recovery, and there's really legitimate devices and technology out there that that helps you recover a lot better 
which again in the long term leads to a performance benefit because if you're recovering better, you're accumulating a lot more higher quality sessions over the course of a preparation and that leads to better fitness. Mm. It's, it's funny you mentioned sleep as being sort of priority. I've become, there was a month for a while there where, where sleep wasn't going so well. Yeah. I've gone, and the, none of these things are sponsors, but I, I went and got myself a, a chili pad, which which you can set the temperature of your, you lie on it, and I just put it on as low as it goes, and, it, and it's water that goes through basically and, and just chills you down. Um, I do a, a thing called a, a shaki mat, um, which I lie on 20 minutes before bed, which uh, – Dr. Dan Plews, who was on the show, who coaches Torrento yeah, Dan's, and a bunch of others. He's a great coach, he, man. He's a smart guy. He, he's a phenomenal guy. Yeah. Endura IQ, yeah. I think, is his whole platform. He's but a yeah, great he's coach. A, I'm going to bring him on actually a, a couple of times because I really learned a lot from him. Um, great he said, great yeah, athlete as well. I know. How about his time in Kona? Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. As an age grouper. And he's got a family and yeah. working full time. I was amazed. Um, but he said, yeah, get on the Shaki mat, Greg. And it's basically like a. And none of these are sponsors, but I, I lie on I lie on the mat with of pins for twenty minutes, and it's meant to help with recovery and flowing and stuff. But then I've got the sound machine on and earplugs, and I have this blanket called a Defender Shield. It's an EMF blanket. It's meant to help. You've got it all going on, mate. It's nuts. You should see me. It's like, but <laughs> but in saying that, I go to bed that once the kids are put down, and I'm probably asleep by nine fifteen. I I am sleeping till six and wake up ready to go. Yeah, that's good. Like it, it is awesome. The proof's so, in the pudding. Well, it's all about investing in the right areas and and that's the thing. Yeah. We we work so hard on all these other things. I'm kind of like, you know what? I'll spend thousands of dollars and do whatever I have to if I can make sure that eight to nine hours that I want a night are awesome. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. That's where I am these days anyway and it might be just because I'm so fatigued from the kids. But. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, are you doing anything like that for sleep or you just zonk out mate i i sleep pretty well i sleep pretty well so i yeah i just i just i hate you (laughs) well i mean you know and we were lucky too all three of our kids were were pretty good sleepers so um obviously you know we through the majority of my career we had the kids so we were changing time zones often and but i don't know how you guys did it it was well neri neri did most of it so um (laughs) and we yeah we just our kids were pretty good sleepers they had good little habits and routines that we got them into and we had to do the controlled crying thing a couple of times when we changed time zones but yeah these days mate i'm once i get into bed i'm i'm doing I'm still very active, even though it's not a lot of training. Well, uh, I do a lot with my son. I help coach his soccer team. I surf a lot with Austin. Um, <laughs> so I'm a lot of running around. See, I'm I'm normally pretty tired at the end of the day, so I don't I don't have any problems getting eight hours. So that's good. But um, if I need to get one of those bed of nails that you're laying on, I'll. Yeah, give it a go. I don't know. I look. I it's one of those things. It was fifty bucks or whatever, and I was like, oh well. So Laura got me one for Christmas, and I've been. I've been trying. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind trying. I mean, I mean, yeah. in theory, the pressure points and things like that. I think it. I mean, dry needling worked a lot for me later in my career. Oh, big time! Isn't it good? Did yeah. you see Christine Bell? I did. Would you see? Her? I yeah, did. Yeah. In her little it's torture phenomenal. chamber down there. Oh, uh, but you get used to it. Yes. I remember when I used to go see her to begin with. I'd be the, the poor massage table would be <laughs> covered in sweat. <laughs> I'd be so sweating, and I'm like, "Oh, sorry, Christine." I just. Yeah, I remember. But then I remember leaving yeah. her place a couple of times after the first few <laughs> treatments, where she would she'd put needles in my hip flexors. 
And of course, oh, yeah. riding our bikes, you know, we've got our hip flexors closed off so much. And my whole, both of my legs went numb. I couldn't get down yeah. her front steps. She had to piggyback me down her front steps. <laughs> and then I had a little motorcycle, a little scooter I was riding around Boulder. I rode home with my legs just dangling off the side. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't lift my legs up onto the scooter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a similar experience because we lived across the lake from her about only 800 meters and one day i'd walked over and she'd done my calves and both after anybody that's had dry needling it's ama- the next day you're 100 percent fine yeah. but that immediate the immediate aftermath is tough mate i was almost on my hands and knees trying to crawl across because <laughs> crawl, crawl yeah. my calves were so locked up <laughs> Oh, and I think I remember calling Laura and saying, can you at least get to the end of the path and pick me up? <laughs> oh, mate. How, what about, I mean, these days you, you know, you're in a, you're in a pretty good place. Have you been practicing any kind of mindfulness stuff? Are you, did you work on any of that meditation or do you have even on, on that kind of like a, a morning routine to get yourself sort of going or you just sort of get going on and get on with it? Yeah, I just sort of get going and get on with it. A lot through my career yeah. I, I would – I had a, a few different mental strategies, a lot of visualization and yeah. just times where I just, I wouldn't even stretch. I'd just sometimes sit there and and um, sort of quiet the mind and, you know, a few different little strategies to try and remove all the white noise and focus and, and it helped. It helped a lot actually mm-hmm. because I think mm-hmm. we have so many outside uh, stimuli, you know, and, and distractions that, Actually, quietening the noise and focusing, and giving yourself a bit of time to do that is very helpful. I think mm. for, for sport, for business, for anything, actually for life. And that's been my focus a lot these last couple of years. It's like, um, and I, and people that have listened to this podcast would have heard me say it. So sorry for repeating it. But basically, yeah, reduce the noise, yeah. reduce the negativity, and just get to neutral. Yeah, this chasing. There's a whole world out there of this. And look, I. I'm, I like being positive and I like being upbeat and outgoing and, and all of this, but it's it, it can be energy sapping it's t- to be it's relentlessly yes. chase, yeah. chasing happiness, you know, yeah. chasing happiness. Like, no, no, just get to neutral, be present with what's got, you know, one of the real things I've been really trying to do is move my phone away from me and just, but when I need to be on my phone, be productive and then put it away and don't have it near me. And that's focusing me to be more present with what's around me. You know, that's been huge. And then I just put a post out this last week on Instagram, which I'm still I'm work in progress on all the social media. But basically what's really helped me this last year or so is being really working on gratitude and um, just appreciating what I do have, but doing it in a way where I'm, you know, if I'm washing my hands or having a shower, I spend, you know, a minute just being grateful for things. Boy, it's amazing how it can just affect your attitude. Dude, I was about know, to say at that. At that moment. I was about yeah. like attitude is everything. Thoughts, feelings, yeah. actions, triangle, attitude yeah. is everything. And getting to a place where your default mindset is more positive than negative. And I think mm-hmm. I think we all have elements of both and it's a spectrum. Mm. But it's about trying to control where you want your starting point to be and coming from a, a place of, of gratitude or being positive um, as your starting point, I think just it can change your whole day, your whole outlook, your life. And it's, it's important, it's important, but it needs practice like anything. Oh, what did I hear the other day? I can't remember where I saw it or read it, but somebody described it. Um, 
you would never talk to somebody else like you talk to yourself at times, you know, with the, you know, oh, Greg, you're an idiot. You know, I wouldn't go, oh, Craig, you're an idiot. You know, like it's like this constant, we we can be so negative and so tough on ourselves yeah, yeah. quite often yep. that, and it does affect us. What I love now about, like we talked, talked about earlier, how science is now proving all of this stuff is that when you do have negative self-talk or you do are tough on yourself beyond what it would be reasonable, it is affecting you the same way as if somebody was actually saying it to you. Yeah. Like it has the same kind of effect. And so that's the, that self-talk of being, you know, stop being so hard on yourself, you know. One of the things I keep saying to Laura and especially with this parenting thing is stop going for perfection and, and let's just aim for average. Mm. And when you, when you lower the bar, it's amazing yeah, how, no. how much it affects your attitude. Progress you know, over you know, perfection. Like, Progress over perfection. That's, oh, I like that. Yeah. Progress over perfection. Let's use that one. I like it. Yeah. Well, I, th- also, I mean, there's nothing wrong with aiming for perfect, but actually a guy I did a bit of work with on the business side of things with the coaching business, he would say that to me. He would say, you know, you're trying to be perfect with everything. You know? And he said, I understand as an athlete, that's what you guys always strived to be perfect with your techniques and have a perfect race. But he said, sometimes in business, it's good to have that as your ideal. But you can't bottleneck things when you're working with other people and you've got the website guy and this guy and that person and this lady's coming in to help you. you you've got to streamline the process and sometimes you just go for progress over perfection. Mm, I like that. I think that's what I, I mean. I was probably referring even more so to, to parenting, um, you know, especially with my wife, Laura, who's, you know, and I was like, look, one of the things we got to do is just be happy to do the best we can progress over perfection. I'm going to use that, you know, yeah. if we can help the kids a little bit, great, but there's no such thing as a perfect kid or perfect parenting. So let's take that off the table. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Um, let's, let's shift gear here. Um, we talked a lot about triathlon in this, in this podcast, but what about when we talk about sports as a whole? Um, starting with, if you could go to any sport live, in 2021, everything's on. What would you want to go to? Ooh, you know what I would have I would have loved to have been in Tampa to watch the Super Bowl. Mm. I, I would have mm. – I just – I wouldn't say I'm a huge NFL fan. I've, I've come to really appreciate the sport having lived in the US for so long, the last 20 years. And um, actually through through Normatech, I nearly, I nearly met Tom Brady a few years ago, nearly 10 years ago, and I've just, I've just followed his career. Um, and I know it's a team sport, but he's the he's the guy pulling the strings. And I just think his longevity and the amount of winning and the way he can change situations. You know, in the NFL, it's all about different systems, different offensive and defensive packages. And, and I mean, he's shifted teams and still been able to replicate that level of success. It's amazing. It, it, it truly. Yeah. When does his When does his journey end? When does his story? When does this? It's like one chapter after another. It's yeah. Like, like for people that don't know the NFL, basically this guy, Tom Brady, and I think most listeners know the NFL, but basically he has been to, what is it now, 10 Super Bowls, won seven of them. Um, he's won more than any franchise, I think. I think Pittsburgh and New England have both won six. So he's won seven. Um, he plays quarterback. He was with New England. Everybody used to talk about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, the ultimate duo bill belichick being the coach of the new england patriots and it's more about even you'd hear people say it's more about bill belichick than it is tom brady well tom brady left last year left new england went to tampa bay who haven't been to the playoffs in maybe you know but i think it's like 15 years yeah it's been a while uh, doesn't just get them to the playoffs 
gets them all the way to the Super Bowl, doesn't just get them to the Super Bowl. They smash the Super Bowl. They're up 20. The game was over by halftime, 28 to 6 or 3 or whatever. I mean, <laughs> New England didn't make the playoffs this past year. Yeah. Um, not not to discredit Bill Belichick because he has done phenomenal, but my goodness. It's, it's just what, what I think about Tom Brady too on, on, on this is not just that he's a high-performance athlete. He has a high-performance life. When, you know, when I see his relationships with his family, his kids and, and his wife, when I see him looking at nutrition and every angle he can do to better himself, he's he's the full package. He's trying to have this high performance life. And uh, that's why he's one of the top guys on one of my show. I keep writing him on Instagram. Because <laughs> well, <laughs> I tell you what, well, you just, you, you answered your own question a minute ago. You said, when does his journey end? It never ends because he lives it. He, mm. he lives it. And, and the reason he's had the success on the field is because of the things he does off the field and the things that he prioritizes physically and mentally. Mm. Um, so yeah, mm. it's interesting. But I tell you, one of the, one of the things I loved like you talk about what sports um, do you want to get back and watch it? And I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I grew up playing soccer. Soccer's my, mm. it's still my first love um, in Europe. They, they call it football. We call it football here too. But so I've, I've enjoyed watching the English Premier League. That was my childhood dream was to play in it. So that, that's the sport I loved to watch. And, Who's your team? Liverpool. I've been. A, oh, you're a Liverpool as well. I've been a Liverpool. Dan, Dan McPherson, who was on the show, is a Dan, Dan's a Liverpool fan. Yeah, I, I follow. Is that because of the Australian that played for Liverpool in the eighties? Yes, that's, uh, well, that's Craig Johnson. That's why I. Craig Johnson. Yeah. Yes, yes. So when and, when Craig Johnson played for Liverpool, I was I was ten years old, and hmm. I used to wake up at three or four in the morning with my stepdad and watch all the FA Cup finals. I um, used to do the same. Yeah. Yep. So. <laughs> On black and white TV in the seventies, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. It, it seems like a, a different lifetime ago, but you know that my sporting dream is actually to go to their home ground, Anfield, in England, and watch a home game. Um, so I'd love to do that. And they've had actually they've actually had a couple of Australians. Harry Kuehl also played for them. Yeah, um, that's right. Won a Champions League with Liverpool in two thousand and five. So yeah, there are there are. That's the sport that I would love to to watch live this year. But I love all sports, like you, mate. I, I love all sports, yeah. so I'm I'm just glad to see some sports coming back. And you know, I'll, tennis and tennis open finally. That's nice to be watching watching those guys again. Yeah, well, that's a high, very high level sport, high level athletes. Although I don't like their Instagram antics when they're whinging about being in quarantine. I mean, you've got to you've got to <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yeah. If you're going to come and play the tournament, you've got to do the quarantine, unfortunately. So, but. Mate, one of the things I enjoyed last year during lockdown was the Michael Jordan doco. Did you did you see that? You know what? I still haven't seen it, but that's largely just having a one and three year old. I was hands on deck the entire yeah. timeline. Well, mate, I've heard it's fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it speaks to what you were talking about before about Tom Brady and when's his journey end and what he's like in his private life, and and you get a little insight into Michael Jordan and you know a lot of the commentary around that documentary was all. Oh, he was ruthless. How driven was he? How hard was he on his teammates? And and Jordan had this thing where, yeah, he didn't want to trade for players. He didn't. He didn't. If if there was something in their team that was deficient, they didn't just trade for a um, a player to fix it. He he wanted to train up who they had, um, mm. and he was very uh, hard on his teammates to the point where they'd they'd be punching on in in training. And and it's a different era now. I'm not, 
I'm not knocking the current NBA because I'm, I'm a huge LeBron fan. I was a huge Kobe fan. I love the, the high-level performance. And, um, you know, a lot of people want to compare and, and I guess that's the world we live in now with social media. There's all these comparisons. I just appreciate them all for what they do and, and what they've done and what they bring. But that, that Jordan doco was interesting because I was a fan of him. I remember in the early 90s, I mean, you would remember too, Greg, NBA was huge in Australia when he was playing. Mm. And, you know, he, and you talk about who's the greatest of all time. I mean, that's a debate that goes on for hours. One thing I know about Jordan is he took that sport global. And, and the NBA in the early 90s was as big in Australia as any other sport we had going. So, um, you know, he changed that sport and made it global. But that doc- no, cause we with basketball before that no. it wasn't i mean we had it at school kind of thing you might play but you didn't you didn't watch it you know and you, you weren't enthused by it it was kind of um, a fringe it was a fringe sport or a niche sport until he came along and then it became mainstream and it was on television and you got to learn who these players were isaiah thomas jordan um you know clyde drexler all these famous bas- uh, hakeem olajuwon um, <laughs> so yeah i mean they i only know of them because of jordan because he, the league came on TV and then um, – so, yeah, that was an interesting documentary about – and one of the things for me that was really uh, insightful in that documentary was when the guy asking the questions to Jordan said, you know, there's a thought out there that your teammates don't like you or you weren't popular. And it, it sort of – it hurt his feelings a little bit. It was like, what do you mean? Like he couldn't – he couldn't – I mean, we won. You know, that, that's, that was his – his only parameter was we won. What do, you, what do you mean the teammates didn't like me? Like, yeah, I pushed him. At, and then he sort of almost, it was almost he was defending it. Well, I, I didn't get my teammates. You can ask any of the coaches. You can ask anyone. I didn't get anyone on the team to do anything that I hadn't done first. Like I would lead by example. But he was kind of almost taken aback by the fact that someone on the team might have not liked him. Isn't that interesting? Because a, a lot of what I talk about with some of the great athletes is their relationships and the importance of team. Yeah, and may, you know, it sounds to me like he he did what was set out to do, which was to win championships. But those team and those relationships, maybe he was a little bit out to lunch. Maybe he didn't. Yeah, he didn't know. He, he, everyone had a role, a job to do, and do your job. You know. Um, I, I haven't seen the documentary and I don't know enough about it, but that's what it kind of sounds like. Well, it was kind of hard for because at, at the height of their success, and they talk about this in the doco at length, that he couldn't travel with the team and he couldn't – he'd get to the arena and he had to sit in a different room with security. And and he, he formed a relationship with one of the security guards that became like his – almost like a surrogate father. Wow. Because he, he couldn't mix with the team. It was distracting. There was too much media. Um, so Phil Jackson just got him over in a room, you know, before they'd come into the locker room and get ready, but he'd just sit off in this side room with, with his own security. And <laughs> so I guess it's hard to nurture and, and um, yeah, nurture, yeah, with your team yeah, at that point. yeah no. it's hard to nurture those relationships when you sort of remove from the environment a little bit. So, um, yeah, there were different challenges I, I, there. I, I still think the greatest of all time athletes are, um, I think some of the tennis players that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's funny, I, the, the more I, I play tennis myself and realize how athletic and dynamic it is, but also the mental ability to have to start every point is a new, you know, it's not like when the gun goes off and you just, you find your flow. I find with tennis, it's kind of like, okay, I've lost a point. Now I've got to regather and I got to, it's a new point mm. go again. 
and 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 so I love the mental and the emotional aspect of tennis, but also the physical. But I've I've truly liked the discussion of talking about Federer and Nadal and Djokovic, and and what I've loved about Federer and Nadal is the fact that they've had to adapt and change their game over time. Yeah. You know, from playing the Leighton Hewitts to you know playing team and some of these other guys now. But what I love about Djokovic is any title that he's won, he's had to beat Federer or Nadal. No, absolutely. And that's what then you go, well, how good is this Djokovic? If he's he's never got to just win a championship where it was ve- beating some of the other guys at the past, he's only ever had Djokovic and Nadal, I mean, uh, Federer and Nadal. And that's where I go, well, hang on, is he then the greatest? Well, and I love the debate about time the, will the, tell. The, yeah, <laughs> but it's a good point you make, and it, it it goes back to what we were talking about when we were talking about the guys and girls who are the greatest triathletes. Is who did they have to beat? Who was in the mm. who was in the race? And and this era of tennis right now, you know, it used to be a big four. You could throw Andy Murray in, but now that they, they, it's really a big three, I suppose, because Andy his career was prematurely ended with his hip injury, but. Yeah, they, they've all taken titles off each other. And that's what's amazing that I think they're, yeah, they are. They're top three on the Grand Slam list. So, and they've yeah. all been in the same era. So um, it's interesting. You think if even one of them had have been in a different era, so say Djokovic came 10 years later, how many could have he won or would have he won if he didn't have to beat Nadal? And, but then how many, how many extras would Nadal and Federer have if they didn't have to? played Djokovic as well so it's it's an interesting conversation but it speaks to the you know the depth of competition and, and who you're actually up against yeah. and, and in the triathlon conversation I guess on the men's side that's why you know having Alistair and, and Javier together you know at the almost the peak of their careers is interesting and I mean on the women's side I guess you know Karen and, and McKeely you, you do see those rivalries which is great oh, for the sport elevate, don't they they elevate it and everybody's playing catch-up yeah. until the next the next lot come along, yeah. Um, but mate, this has been brilliant. Before we go, before we, we end up, what, what's um, what's your your year looking like? Um, the future here. What are you thinking? Well, I'm hoping to get a bit of travel in. You know, it's be nice yeah. to catch up with a few friends and um, and just get back to the events. A lot of the travel, as I said, you know, a lot of the travel I do these days is just you know ambassador roles at events or promotional work for sponsors. So well, you take the events away, you take away a lot of a lot of that travel and yeah, so I've missed, I've missed being on the circuit and seeing a lot of, and you know, not on the circuit full time like I used to be, but just popping in and out of those events and seeing people. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure with it with, on the travel front, maybe a lot, a few of those roles at local events, domestic events at home in Australia. And, you know, I've got the little, the little business in Seagull. I'm taking more of a hands-on role the last six or eight months. So enjoying okay. interacting with it. Yeah. And stuff yeah so and just in, enjoying just being more engaged with with our clients and our community which you, as you know you can't you can't have those things when, you, when you're trying to race at a high level and 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 you've got a family as well i mean the you know family is the number one priority and then your career it, it's just not a lot of time for anything else so really enjoy well, you, you mentioned before we started that you you may be looking at a triathlon building a triathlon team yeah so a little project i've got going so vespa motorcycles have come to me and they want to launch a triathlon team this year so i always love when the big global brands and the non-endemics get involved in our sport i think they see what we've always seen um Mm -hmm. 
you know, the great values um, and attributes that our athletes have. And um, so, yeah, I'm putting together a little team. I've signed four guys and four girls. I can't can't give you a scoop, mate. Um, well, can you tell me, are they internationals or all Australian? No, they're internationals, internationals. So there's some Australians on there that, yeah, I was given a brief of sort of the athletes that they wanted. Um, Short course or long course? Both, both. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> you're not gonna, yeah, you're gonna try and trick me into something here, aren't you? But no, both and 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 look, yeah. the, the the triathlon, the sport of triathlon, is all those things now, and all those. I mean, the big the big races are across all the distances. Um, of course. So yeah, you, yeah. you want a range. If you you know, if you want to have a, a team that sort of represents in all the big events, you've got to have a range of athletes, and 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 there's a few of the athletes who who do both. Not many, not many. It's it's hard to specialized now because the level's so high in each in each mm-hmm. each um, distance of racing in each style of racing whether it be off-road or on-road or whatever so but yeah we've got a nice little mix so yeah look out for us the vespa pro triathlon team and we've got we've got ideas to throw a vespa your way i hope so yeah yeah i'll be scooting around on one for sure so which is with all the traffic in sydney be very handy yeah, well, let me know um, how I how, when I do get back to Australia when they let us in, so you can't leave, and and unless I want to do fifteen days with a one and a three year old in a hotel, <laughs> that'd be fun. We decide, uh, we won't be coming back anytime soon, and we need to be able to get on a flight. There's only so many people allowed in, so I'm hoping I keep writing the premier and the prime minister, going, you know, can you just work with us here and let us get some vitamin D? We just want to be outside for a little bit. Yeah, well, mate, we don't let, as you know, we don't let anyone in, mate. We don't let the riffraff in, so. And, mate, we miss you down here. We'd love to see the Bennetts down here. Yeah, we'll get back there eventually. But, um, mate, this is a good place to to wind it up, I think. This has been really great just to have a chat, record it. I hope people have enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. No, it's always a pleasure, mate. It's always fun to to go over the old time. We didn't actually – we didn't talk about the time that you, Simon, and I were were in the background for Welshie Freeze. Remember these TV commercial for the Korean soft drink, Max Power or right. – to run in the background and we got like a thousand bucks each or something yeah, it was a good payday yeah yeah it was up uh where was that it was in we, bathurst or, we, we right no, way we, out of sydney I'm- no no we did a little bit on the northern beaches we did a little at manly and a little at freshy freshwater beach and then we went up to mount white remember we did a bit running over the the brooklyn bridge yeah. and um yeah yeah we had to spray ourselves to look like we were sweating and working hard with those little spray guns and yeah well right. well she had to come out of the water in the lead and you, Simon, and I were chasing him out. We were in a we were in a Korean soft drink commercial. That was our first um, first global exposure. Yeah. <laughs> we should find that commercial, mate. <laughs> that would be brilliant. That would be absolutely. If anybody in South Korea is listening to this, or anybody finds it on YouTube, find find that commercial with Greg Welsh, South Korean soft drink, high level, three of- high level acting that day. High level acting. <laughs> All right, mate. This is a good place to edit. This has been wonderful. And thanks again, buddy, for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, mate. Love to the family. Yeah, and to yours. Thanks, everyone, for listening the, and sharing and all your feedback. You can find all the show notes, timestamps, links, and all the coupon codes for the sponsors at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right. Thanks again, Crow. Stay on the line, mate. Cheers. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, 
Here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.